Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderlai and today's show is going to be with a dear guest from Tanzania, Africa. His name is Princely Glorious and Princely is a young media creator from Tanzania, currently working and living in Somaliland and his mission is to kind of reshape or reclaim the narrative of Africa. Welcome to the show, Princely. Thank you so much, Julian. It's, it's, it's an honor. It's great to have you on the show. So tell us a little bit about your current um, whereabouts and what you're up to in, in the uh, East African Media Lab. I'm, like you said, I'm from Tanzania. I'm from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. That's where I live and work. And uh, back home in Tanzania, I, I founded um, a digital storytelling platform uh, named Ona Stories. Um, and and, and it's, it's, it's basically all about reclaiming the African narrative through uh, creating videos for, uh, that are created for mobile phones. And, um, you know, through, through my work with Ona Stories, uh, I, I, I got the opportunity to be a fellow of what is called the East Africa Media Lab, which is a Pan-African program. Uh, where different uh, creators, producers, storytellers, uh, digital artists of, of different kinds from different countries across the continent uh, choose another African country that they want to go and, uh, you know, tell stories or, or create a, an exhibition or, you know, so, so I chose to come to Somaliland, uh, which is where I am today. Got it. Great. So it's like an, an international exchange for media creators. Exactly. It's, it's a pan-African collaboration program media, for uh, digital media creators. Cool. So coming from Tanzania, what made, what made you choose Somaliland? And let, let me ask this question right off the bat. I think for most people in the world, um, they, they think of Somaliland and they, they name it Somalia in their head. So just kind of put some context around that. It's a sensitive, Somalia and Somaliland, there's, there's a sensitive uh, history there. And I'll, I'll try my best to, to uh, dissect at least the Somaliland uh, perspective of, of that history. Um, so so <clears throat> Somalia and, and, and Somaliland um, were, were ruled, like, if I take back to colonial times, were, were ruled by different colonial um, masters or forces. And Soma the, the, the country that is now Somaliland was ruled by the Brits and um, the rest of Somalia was ruled by the, the Italians. So around in the 60s, when there was the you know, Pan-African nationalist movement, um, British Somaliland uh, broke off. And then in, in 1960, they got their independence from uh, Britain. And then Italian Somaliland also broke off and got their independence from Italy. Then they came together four days after um, you know, after British Somaliland got their independence to form what is now known as Somalia, which is what most people around the world know. But then, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a series of wars uh, which culminated into the collapse of the Somali government in 1991. And so in 1991, Somaliland uh, declared their, you know, like they have a self-declared independence from Somalia. And what they've done in the, in the 26 years since is, is they've created this beacon of, of stability, of democracy, of progress, 
um, which 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 you, you you know contrasts quite sharply with with uh, with Somalia. Um, so so for example, they've just had their presidential elections um, a few two weeks ago, November thirteenth, uh, which I, I, and I was here for them, and um, they're the first uh, place on earth use iris scanning technology to uh, register and track voters for you know, so so they're, they're really really beacons of, of progress and and um, all the international observers you know have really hailed uh, their uh, democracy and their election results and things like that so so it, it's 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 very distinct from from Somalia but it's something that people don't know and that's part of the reason that I decided to to come here to Somaliland to tell this story yeah that was kind of my follow-up question history. is that is that why you picked it like tell me a little bit more of like in the pan-african context um, what kind of role uh, you see in Somaliland? It very much is part of the reason I picked it, that a lot of people, um, you know, you, you earlier mentioned that people around the world, so not, not, not even just people around the world, even people within Africa um, don't know that history or, or that distinction between um, Somalia and, and Somaliland. Um, in fact, a lot of the responses I've been getting from uh, back home in, in Tanzania are, oh, wow, this, you know, so what's, what, what is Somaliland? Where is this place that you are uh, talking about? Um, and and, and in, in a sense, I, I, I like to say that I see it as a microcosm of the rest of the continent, uh, where people have very little knowledge about uh, Africa, other than the tropes and the stereotypes and, and, and you know, and the, the uh, vapid generalizations. In, in, in that sense, a lot of people, a lot of Tanzanians, for example, you know, were, were warning me, you know, you're going to this terror-filled place with wars and, and, and famine and, you know, and all this, and I come here and it's thriving. It's, it's, a, it's a democracy that I actually think a lot of the other African countries can learn from. And even, you know, like I said, the, the iris scanning technology, we're gonna see other countries uh, from, from the rest of the world start doing that because it's, it's a lot more effective. Formed me um, in, in my selection of, of uh, Somaliland that a lot of people don't know it. Uh, a lot of people have really vague generalizations that are quite frankly just wrong about uh, Somaliland and, and even Somalia generally. Right. And I think if you extend that around like a, a global picture of Africa, um, mo most, most likely, and maybe, maybe this is what, you know, rebranding the African narrative or kind of taking the responsibility about the African narrative is about for you. But I think the world looks at Africa and um, most likely sees a bunch of bloody history and really, really like bad stereotypes. So let's, let's try to clean that up a little bit because I think... Um, this is something that we're simply lacking on education or perspective from, unless people have actually traveled and been there and, and kind of set their own um, foot onto the continent. Very, very true. You know, like I, I, I have no illusions that we were going to clean it up in, in a one podcast session. But yeah. at the same time, um, you know, more and more, more and more um, voices and stories, just like this, just like this podcast, just like the project that I, you know, I'm, I'm completing here in Somaliland. Almost everything that anybody knows is, in one way or another, a story that you've, you know, that you've been told uh, by someone else. Um, 
and and not not to be conspiratorial or anything, but but almost every single thing that you know is a story that's been passed down or preserved in in one way or another. And if if we can have um, and and if if we can have a retelling of these stories, if we can have more and more of these stories just being told about the continent, about Somaliland, about Tanzania, where I'm from, um, we, we can start seeing uh, a, a lot more ownership of, of this narrative and a lot, uh, a lot more uh, education and change. I, I totally concur. I mean, this is um, a big part of me starting a podcast called Green Planet, Blue Planet is to own this narrative, this story we're telling as humanity, actually, because I think um, this is something I've realized in my travels and, and uh, in the networks and groups I'm part of, as the human story goes, we share a lot more um, than makes us different. Very much so, I, I, I agree with that a lot. So you would say storytelling is like your superhero power? Like, is that something you, that just comes naturally to you? Yeah, so, so storytelling is, is, um, is it's something that I am definitely, um, you know, like, something that I'm, I'm i'm definitely working on but it's also something that i've i've been uh, gifted with uh, i've been blessed with uh, the gift of words since i was pretty young and throughout my life i've i've um you know had opportunities to grow my storytelling uh, capabilities tell us tell us a bit more how growing up in tanzania uh, occurred to you and how that kind of shaped your perspective to um be where you are now i was born and grew up in kilimanjaro tanzania um, Kilimanjaro is the highest freestanding mountain in the world, um, and it's it's just it's a very beautiful part of the world. I'm I'm, I'm you know super lucky to to have been born there, um, and I went to to elementary school uh, and 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 high school as well in in Kilimanjaro. But I was also fortunate enough to to come from you know uh, my, my 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 parents have um, a a a series of schools and they have uh you know like different ministries and missions for uh helping like community-based work and so i grew up with people from all over all, all over the world which which um, really shaped my education and my perspective of the world so um you know we my, my parents uh, organization uh, grew from you know like a small um, a small uh, service in, in, in my mom's kitchen where she would help um, teen, teen moms who were ostracized and kicked out of their families um, because they, they got preg you know, teen pregnancy. Uh, and and, and, and in, in the part of the world that I'm from, uh, at, at least at the time that we were growing up, people used to be ostracized from, from their families if you, if you get you know, teen pregnancy. And so my mom uh, brought them in into her kitchen and started teaching them just basic life skills and uh, like vocational skills. And, and it grew from there. Um, it grew from her kitchen into, oh, there's, there's now 50 of them. We've got to get premises. And oh, now there's 600. Um, this is, wow. uh, you know, proper. Um, of course, it's, it's not as, as random or as haphazard as I've made it sound. But, you know, it, it definitely grew into, into an international, um, uh, you know, uh, work and and so i was privileged to to grow in in that type of family but then also to grow up around people from 
all over the world because uh, like right now we have six offices around the world uh, in, in Norway, in New Zealand, in, in South Korea, in the United States, in Canada where you are. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I got to see uh, from Tanzania, but I got to see the world from uh, at least seven different uh, perspectives and worldviews um, growing up. And, and, and that really shaped uh, me and, and, and that really actually showed me that uh, we need to change the story that's being told about Africa because, like you're saying, there's, there's, there are differences in culture and in upbringing and all that, but there is so much more that brings, that puts us together than there is that, uh, you know, that, 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 that's different uh, between human and human. So, so um, I also went to school in, in Nairobi for university and a little bit for primary school. And, you know, that's, that's an extra perspective, an extra story I was being told by a different country, uh, being Kenya in that case. So, uh, you know, like having those different sources of information and, and stories really shaped who I am and, and um, shaped the desire for me to um, tell more stories. Powerful, yeah. I mean, that's that's quite the story that your your parents started a school like that, and, and and your mother just saw that there's you know there's need for well more 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 humaneness, right? Like um, cer certainly we're we're going through evolutions like that, like spiral evolutions of what is appropriate and inappropriate in society. It may be um, gay rights or it may be teen pregnancy, but at the end of the day. Um, even if it's labeled as something wrong, there is a human being who needs help. Mm, very <laughs> right? so much so. Identifying that and um, not just from an entrepreneurial perspective, but in the first case, just for, from a, a, a human value, I think, shows um, an abundance and richness in, in a very deep way. So it's beautiful that you grew up in those circumstances and had the chance to travel so much. Uh, I totally understand. Like I was very privileged myself with early travel in my life, which I think it might just be part of our generation that we have this more um, international perspective from early days. Certainly through our cell phones, we, we already, or our computers, we know that there are 7 billion others out there. So tell me a little bit more about how that shaped your understanding of culture and maybe even national identity, because I could foresee that, that there are different things for you, you know? My view of, of culture, um, like, like I said, being exposed to many different cultures from around the world at, at, at an early age, um, you know, it, it really it shapes you to first appreciate your own, um, but then also to, to, uh, to see that there's different ways of looking at things in the world and that yours isn't necessarily the end all and be all, or, or that your, your perspective or your attitude or your um, food and you know, all, all the different cultural signifiers aren't necessarily, um, there aren't all, you know? there is more out there. And um, when you speak about a national identity, um, um, actually one, one of the responses I got from uh, a friend of mine, a manager of mine, um, who is, uh, he, he's a British, British guy who lives and works in, in Dar es Salaam. And he listened to a talk that I did recently at, at the summit called the Kwanzaa Summit. And he, he was telling me, I'm, I'm so intrigued that you speak about Africa and not Tanzania. He says, I can't, I can't think of myself, uh, I don't think of myself as European first. I think of myself as a British guy 
um, first and foremost, and I, I don't really um, care for the rest of Europe. <laughs> I'm British first, European after that. Um, and and with I, you know part of what I was telling him is that with with Africa it's a little different because um, with Tanzania our our father the father of our nation. Uh, really, really helped um, create a national identity for us and really pushed, for example, he, he pushed for um, Swahili becoming the national language. Um, and so, you know, every Tanzanian speaks Swahili and it's a matter of, of, of national pride to speak Swahili. So he did a lot of that to, to, you know, to establish like a national Tanzanian identity. But then at the same time, he was very Pan-African. Um, because, and, and that's why, you know, very early, uh, if, if I give you like a little bit of, of Tanzanian history as well, very early after we got our independence uh, as Tanganyika from the Brits, we joined with Zanzibar, uh, the island of Zanzibar, to become the United Republic of, of Tanzania. Um, and, and this was part of his pan-African vision of things that, um, you know, that, that, these borders that we have, um, with, they were drawn on a map with uh, Otto von Bismarck in, you know, in, in Germany and, and at the Berlin Conference, and, and they're artificial borders. Um, if, if, you, if, you wanna, if you wanna look at um, what African nations would have been, there would probably be uh, clusters of, of what people call tribes, um, but they would definitely not look like the, the nation states that, uh, that, that exist today. But then the thing is, you know, Africa, that, that, that's, that's Africa's reality today, that I, I am not um, part of my tribal nation state, I'm part of Tanzania. So um, luckily or fortunately in Tanzania, there's, there's definitely a national identity that, that's been fostered. But then we, we definitely feel at the same time a solidarity because of the shared history um, with the rest of the continent, we definitely feel a shared, um, you know, solidarity and of, of identity, of, of uh, perspective on the world and history uh, with the rest of the continent. Interesting. I mean, that, that, is, that is a very rich history, right? And I think it often gets told only from one angle. So um, I want to hear more about how you foresee the narrative of Africa to kind of increasingly, you said it, we won't we won't change it with one podcast episode. I, I, I totally am with you. But increasingly, with every piece of the story that is being retold, what is, what is it that you want to share about um, this African culture and then the, the tribal cultures or the nation's cultures that kind of exist within it? I think I'll, I'll try and answer your, your question in, in two parts. First, the, the like a, a historical cultural context and then second uh where i think we're going in terms of like uh you know what what's what's happening um today or what are the big opportunities today absolutely so, so um for, for with with the first part um of course this this is something that people hear so much but africa is not a country you know um it's it's it's, an, it's a continent with 50 uh, plus, 54 uh, different countries. And within those 54 countries, let me zoom in to Tanzania, where I'm from. Um, within, with, within Tanzania alone, there's 120 different tribes. And each of those tribes has its own language. 
and within those, uh, you know, those languages, those tribal languages, for example, there's still different um, sub-languages and dialects and, 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 and you know, and, and so often we just lump all of these different, um, you know, peoples into this one massive block called Africa, right? Um, and and uh, you know, that, that lack of nuance has really harmed the, the African narrative. So instead, you know, you, know, you, you uh, Julian Gudai could come to Tanzania and he, he's really trying to figure out what is Tanzanian food, but there's no such thing as Tanzanian food because Tanzania is, 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 is a very recent um, occurrence. You know, it, there's, there's food that we eat now that's becoming part of, of the popular Tanzanian culture. Um, but if you want to look at, at, at uh, the cuisine of the people within the borders of Tanzania, you'd find a lot more uh, richness if you looked at the 120 different groups and, and ask, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what did one of these 120 different groups eat? What language did they speak? Well, who did they worship? Uh, what, you know, what, what cultural artifacts, um, did, you know, uh, do, did they hold, uh, you know, hold valuably? And I think it, it, it's beginning to change. There's, there's a lot more um, nuance out there now. Um, you know, people, people realizing uh, you, the true size of Africa, that Africa is big enough, for example, to hold China and the United States and India and, and all these other massive countries. You could fit them all into Africa. Um, and a, a lot of people don't, you know, don't know that. Uh, but but there's a lot more of that nuance and a lot of more of that narrative coming out now. And a lot of that is actually credit to different young Africans like myself and, 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 and uh, you know, so, so many more of us um, coming into the digital age, uh, leapfrogging, uh, you know, like, like the complete analog solutions and going straight into digital. And, um, you know, with, with the, just the proliferation of things like, the phone, uh, mobile phone and uh, computers and things like that. There's so many of us out there now saying, hey, you know what, this is my content and this is a story that I'm telling about. And, and, and that's the second part of, of my response to you, that um, the, the opportunity that digital media and, and that digital technology has uh, you know, given Africa is, is something that I think um, we, we you know, we're taking, um, it, it, it's elevating the story of Africa because now um, instead, of, instead of this, you know, centralized stories that you get from, from Western sources or Eastern sources or everybody else, there's millions of different um, sources from within the continent itself telling the African story. Um, of course, there's still structural issues that uh, need to be addressed. Uh, and, and, and they must be addressed before the, any significant changes to African narrative or the narrative about black people generally changes. But um, there, there's definitely progress and there's definitely uh, more that, that we can do now with digital and with mobile phones uh, to, to shape the narrative. Well, while, you're, while you're sharing this, what I kind of see is this you know, we are, we're changing the global narrative and the, the cultural narratives from everywhere in the world and maybe each continent, we're changing it from like one centralized authority publishing a narrative to basically 
seven billion individuals having a perspective and a cell phone and a camera. And then those that are skilled like yourself and um, I'm a media producer as well, right? So like we, we're, we're taking this on and we're, we're allowing ourselves to, to share the way we see the world, basically to project that into the collective and say, look, these are at the very minimum alternative angles that you can, um, like a pair of glasses, alternative glasses you can look through and try them on, see if you like the world like that. Very much so, very much so. There's, there's a very uh, cool series that uh, Nas Daily, he's, he's a guy who makes these super cool one minute videos on Facebook, uh, Nas Daily, that's N-A-S Daily. Um, he's just done a series of about seven different African countries that he's visited. And uh, it's, it's very much what you're talking about of, of um, you know, and, and, and what I alluded to earlier of, of going from this centralized source into this, okay, um, I'm a creative person, I'm, I'm a media producer, I can, um, I can shape uh, people's perceptions of a place. And he's done this brilliant, brilliant series on, on Africa, um, like on, on seven different countries across Africa that I'd encourage everyone to watch. Where do people find your content and the way that you change the narrative? Um, so, so at the moment, you, uh, a lot of the work that we've done has been, uh, for um, like pro projects and programs and things like that. But you can follow what we do daily uh, at ONA Stories, that's O-N-A Stories, um, across, across the web. So we've right. got, you know, like on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, Twitter, uh, it's, it's the same at ONA Stories. And uh, we're developing onastories.com. To, to have a hub for, uh, for all of that. Let me jump back into the, the cultural conversation a little bit here, because he, here's the thing, right? I, like I hear you, obviously Africa is a continent and gets mistaken for kind of a lump sum of uh, almost like a, a country. But look at it this way. When people say America, what, what do they think of? They think of the United States of America. But America is so much richer than just the U.S. America basically is from Alaska all the way to south where, where Patagonia and Chile and, and, and Argentina kind of meet. And the nuances in between are so vast. And there is certainly a connectivity, but it's being dominated through the narrative and through the glasses we look through. Um, Europe is, is a very interesting one, having lived both in, in, across the Americas and, and in Europe. Um, I do feel like a European first. Um, my passport says German though, right? Um, I know that the Brits have a slightly different perspective on that. So how do you, let me, let me form a question out of this. How does that kind of land for you, kind of have a, na a national or cultural identity? How does that look in the Pan-African exchange? Like how do people interact with each other around that? Mm. So uh, when, when you speak about, about Africa, and, and in, in fact, when you speak about any place, you, you cannot extricate that place from its history, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, the history of Africa is, is, is very much a history of, of power and power structures and oppression and, and, uh, and things like that. Um, and, and you find uh, today that <clears throat> Africa is, is largely divided into two or almost three different general cultural, um, cultural like vibes, contemporary word. Um, and and so, so you've got the, the Francophone part of Africa, a lot of uh, Central and West Africa, 
is French speaking. Um, and then you've got the Anglophone part, which is uh, a lot of East Africa, where I'm from, and uh, a lot of Southern Africa as well. And then you've got the North, which is, uh, you know, Arabic, uh, like very, very Arab, um, Arab-centric uh, part of the continent. And so you, you, if you're going to, to, to generalize, there's, there's those three different uh, distinct, um, distinct vibes. And, and you find, because, because of the, the, um, the shared histories of these uh, three different parts, you find, so, so you find, for example, that, that a Tanzanian and a South African uh, aren't as, as different as a Tanzanian and a Senegalese in, in their... Uh, worldviews and their um, in, in, in the way they approach the world and and, and things like that and, and mostly it's because uh, because of the colonial histories and, and the language barriers these countries that speak uh, predominantly English the anglophone countries have continued trading with each other have continued um, having exchange programs and and people uh, like emigrating to each other's countries and things like that. And the same happens in the Francophone countries and, and the same happens in North Africa with, with the, you know, the, the Arabic uh, part of the continent. And so, so, so you find, um, you know, for, for historical reasons, there's these three major blocks, I could say, of, 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 of the continent that are, they're, they're still not, like, don't get me wrong, they're, they're still not, homogeneous at all like the, uh, I'm not saying that uh, Anglophone Africa and Francophone Africa and, and Arab speaking Africa is uh, you know is the same but you could you could um, split the continent kind of um, culturally uh, and, and, and speaking about contemporary culture not yeah. not um, you know not not the the rich uh, historical culture um, which 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 then you know just leads me again to uh, so those three major blocks are the culture, the, the popular contemporary culture. Like that's, that's, that's the lived reality today, right? But then you've got, you've got the, the ancient culture, the ancient history of Africa. Um, and, and, and a lot of people, you know, they, 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 all they know about, about uh, the continent historically is, is ancient Egypt uh, because, you know, the, the, uh, the the colonialists and the oppressors and and the, and the people who who told um, Africa's history that's that's the only part of the continent that they truly uh, focused on. But you know, like a, a lot of people don't know, for example, about about uh, Kilwa in Tanzania, which which was a massive um, civilization uh, that, that sprawled across the coast of East Africa. Um, and, and, and had trade links to, to the Orient and to um, Arabia like long, long before colonialism and, and, and before, like in, in, in almost prehistoric times. And, and uh, a lot of people don't know about the great Zimbabwe and, and uh, not, not the Zimbabwe that's in the news now. Um, the, the, the great Zimbabwe, which is a, an, an ancient um, civilization as well. And a lot of, a lot of Africans also, so don't know that because the like, like I said, you can't extricate people from from their history, and very much the the the, the history of of Africa has been told by other people. Um, like like I said, one of my favorite quotes is is by Chinua Achebe, the Nigerian writer, uh, who says, "Until the lion learns to tell its own tale, 
the story of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's another more, more uh, common uh, interpretation of that that says that history is written by the victors. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, very much so because Africa in, 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 many, in, in, in many cases historically did not, uh, were not the victors in, in, in the power struggles that happened uh, in, in days of yonder. Um, they, we, we didn't really get to, 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 um, to shape our history or, or to, to, like, to, to put into, into, into words our history. And so a lot of it is forgotten. But there's a lot of progress now um, with digital media and with uh, changes in like school curriculums and, and things like that of people rediscovering uh, African ancient history and, and learning it again. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's truly exciting. And it brings us somewhat full circle to what you said in the beginning of this interview that telling a story is it's a shared human gift and it's also that's the baseline for the agreements we make for this world, the way we see this world, right? So when we tell the story from the hunters and the lions perspective, then we actually have um, a clear perspective and, and not just a suede perspective. Prince, let, let me ask you, let me switch it up just for the end of this episode a little bit. And let me ask you two more questions. So for one, I want to kind of take our minds out of the current um, context and, and make it like help us see the large possibilities that are out there. So if you had $13.7 billion tomorrow, I'll repeat that, right? $13.7 billion. What would you do with it and why? Wow, $13.7 billion. That's, that sounds nice. That's, that's also a very uh, specific number, oddly specific number. But um, if, if I had 13.7 uh, billion dollars tomorrow. I think I think a lot of it would go into creating um, creating a, a, a cultural center um, for uh, or not not one cultural center, but um, a cultural center for each African country um, to you know like truly explore their histories and to truly rigorously. Um, examine and, and display like cultural artifacts and, 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 and really find um, ancient African stories to tell. I'd probably make like a, like a massive epic movie about, you know, like if it's based on, on, um, on, on um, like, like African traditional um, beliefs and, and belief systems, you know, something like Lord of the Rings, but based on African traditions. And, you know, so, so I'd, I'd definitely do a, a series of different cultural uh, and, and, and storytelling uh, projects, not myself, but I'd, I'd probably, you know, make sure that, that these rigorous uh, search for history and, and storytelling would be done across the different countries and, and cultures across Africa. I love it. Um, some, somebody make sure you get access to $13.7 billion. I want to see this epic Lord of the Rings version that um, kind of highlights traditional African stories. That, that's amazing. I love them. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, and also cultural centers. I mean, that's, that's something that um, I, I, don't, I don't share super frequently at the moment in, in my own storytelling, but, but those who are close to me know... Um, I, I ran actually a, a studio space, which was kind of like a cultural 
experiment in that sense for two years here in Victoria, BC. And um, I'm very interested to see how we can create something I would call lifelong learning centers, like uh, call them villages, call them cultural centers. Uh, the naming doesn't even matter at this point, but really places where we as humans uh, become aware of our responsibilities as creators, as destroyers, and we, we opt in to lifelong learning. Very, very, very true and very powerful. Um, you know, like the, the place that I am at, I'm being hosted here in Hargeisa, uh, is, is a place called the Hargeisa Cultural Center, which is run by the Red Sea Cultural Foundation. And um, the, the, the gentleman, his name is Dr. Jama, uh, Dr. Jama Musa Jama. And, and um, what he's created here is, is just this fantastic space for lifelong learning, like you're saying. Um, but also uh, preservation of, of Somali culture and Somali, you know, different artifacts. So, so he has a library, he has a gallery, an art gallery, he has an open space for poetry and, and uh, uh, you know, continuing Somali oral tradition. Uh, he has, you know, like different, um, different engagements that he does. So he, he organizes this thing called the Hargeisa International Book Fair which is the largest cultural event that happens in, in the Horn of Africa. Wow. And, and you know, he's, he's just been able to, to um, truly shape and preserve and maintain um, Somali culture, while at the same time creating a space for uh, young Somalis to learn about their history, but then at the same time to learn about life generally. You know, like I, I was telling him earlier today that I'm, I'm super... Like, like the model, like the model that he's created and, and he's done very successfully here for, for uh, over a decade um, is, is so intriguing to me because uh, one key part of his model is that he uses young people. Um, so he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a really um, esteemed older guy as well, but he, uh, every, every person who's here is super young, like, like the, the um, librarian is like, is, goes to school and comes back after school to, to run the library and, uh, you know, and, and things like that. And, and um, you know, that, that 13.7 billion, I'd, I'd love to give a huge chunk of that to him so he could go around, <laughs> go around the continent, um, you know, spreading this model of, of doing things and creating lifelong learning centers and cultural centers uh, across, across the continent. Powerful, yeah, still entrepreneurial um, endeavor. I, I, I love hearing those stories. And I think this is part of the reason why I asked this question and that specifically is so we dare to dream, but we dream in a specific context, right? So let me ask um, one more question. And that is in this kind of dreaming, um, dreaming up a future, while we don't forget that right now is where the power is, right now is where we do one perfect next step of action, but dreaming up this future, if we had a shared vision for planet Earth, not just Africa, not just America or Europe or Asia, but for planet Earth as a whole, for humanity, and we'd say it's 200 years from now, what is the world you dream of? What is the world you see could become possible? The, the, the world that I dream of, uh, you know, like is, 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 is a world with a lot less oppression, uh, structural oppression, than there is today, um, a world with with um, that's that's not 
just you know egalitarian or 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 equitable but is is just less oppressive um in 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 structural ways a world where we realize the the insight that you were speaking a little earlier about um us being more uh, connected than being different um a world where we we <clears throat> um understand you know like they 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 that that not not just uh wealth or not just the economy is shared equitably but but that the the that power is shared uh equitably and that there's there's um a, a recognition like a, a you know like realization that that what puts us together is is far more uh stronger than what uh makes us different and and puts us apart beautiful yeah uh let's 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 work on that let's let's find a way to make this become a reality every day one step at a time princey thank you so much for taking time to being on the show thank you for kind of educating myself and possibly some of the listeners it, about the african context and the context within um east africa where you are right now i'm 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 really happy to share this episode with everyone can't wait for for some comments and conversation around that because i i feel like there's a lot I learned today so thank you thank you so much julian nurulai and and um thank you so much for having me on your show and i wish you success with green planet blue planet but then with with everything else that you do at uh, in in victoria bc i hope you enjoyed this episode of green planet blue planet podcast with princely glorious currently out of somaliland in africa Princely is a digital storyteller and media creator. And um, oh boy, I certainly learned a thing or two about Africa, the way and the state of the continent and really how engaged people are to claim and reclaim and take responsibility for building a future that looks very different than a lot of the stereotypes that are still circulating around these days. So so much for now. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Um, stay tuned and uh, until the next episode.